This year, the Western Church, following the Gregorian calendar, celebrates Easter on one of the earliest dates possible. By contrast, the Hebrew calendar dictates that the Jewish feast of Passover this year will be celebrated very late, on April 22nd. Sometimes it's the case that the two calendars coincide, and Passover is celebrated in the same week as Easter. It's tempting, of course, when that happens, to draw trite comparisons between the coinciding celebrations of the two different faiths. I was in a Unitarian Universalist church once when such a comparison was made, and the minister threw in for good measure, we are also celebrating the general renewal that the spring season brings in our lives. Don't want to leave anybody out. But it is the case that tonight in celebrating the Mass of the Lord's Supper, we are especially reminded of the Jewish root of the Christian faith. For on the night that he was betrayed, as related in Luke's Gospel, Jesus said to his disciples, Long have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus chose to culminate his teaching to the disciples in the context of the Jewish Passover in order that he might draw the closest connection between his suffering and death on the cross and the commemoration of the Jewish exodus from Egypt. If we were Jews celebrating the Passover, the meal would begin with the youngest boy who was able to speak cogently, asking this question, why is this night different from all other nights? to which the father of the household would respond, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord our God took us from there with a strong hand and his outstretched arm. Passover celebrated Israel's freedom from slavery in Egypt. Now, freedom is a word that is much abused in our modern way of thinking. We invoke the concept of freedom, as a mantle to adorn all kinds of political ideas. Sometimes we even invoke it as a causes belli in conflicts with other nations. But there is a danger when we invoke freedom as an all-purpose accolade and a self-justifying principle. Freedom simply becomes equated with glorifying the will, giving everyone as much freedom as possible from any kind of restraint whether physical or religious or political or moral. This kind of freedom is simply maximizing personal choice, regardless of the choices made. The substantive use that is made of that freedom, or what is called freedom, becomes an afterthought. As a witty Edmund Burke once said, the effect of liberty to individuals is that they may do what they please. We ought to see instead what it will please them to do, before we risk congratulations, which may soon be turned into complaints. When we buy into the idea that freedom should simply mean unrestrained choice on the part of the free, we lose sight of a far more richer and more nuanced understanding of freedom, an understanding revealed to us in Scripture and illumined by the work of many great Christian thinkers. We see, of course, that the freedom the people of Israel obtained in leaving Egypt was not, and was not intended to be, mere freedom from constraint. Rather, it was the freedom, as God told them in the first commandment, 
to have no other gods before me. The freedom they obtain is the freedom of action necessary to love and serve their God rather than Pharaoh. Yes, of course, there is an element of liberty that is contained in that. A people enslaved are not a people able to honor God properly. But it's not the exaltation of mere freedom as license or freedom considered apart from how that freedom will be used. What Israel learned in its long march through the desert was the distinction between this juvenile sense of freedom and freedom as the basis of a people and as persons choosing the good. The purpose of freedom is to grow in virtue so that choosing the good becomes possible. A freedom that allows excellence. A freedom that is nurtured by discipline and the constraint of just laws and moral norms. All of us, of course, have the freedom to play the piano. But for myself and for many of you, I'm guessing that's freedom in its rawest, most simplistic sense. We can bang away on the keys like monkeys. To possess a true freedom to play the piano, one has to be educated and disciplined by practice in the skills of making beautiful music. Then a person truly has the power to express their freedom in a mature and ordered way. Jesus Christ willingly took on the burden of our sin. He possessed total freedom. It says in the gospel that he was fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power. But he subordinated that power in the service of others. Or more precisely, we could say that his freedom was found in his willingness to use his power to serve the highest good, to obtain salvation for others on the cross. As Christians, we have the freedom that we have from the God who creates us and sustains us, from our nation, which guards us physically, and from our families who educate and nourish us. But it is meant to point us to the example of Jesus, the one who could choose to lay down his life so that others might have life. Christ demonstrated this to his disciples by washing their feet. His headship of them did not mean being served by them. It did not mean luxury or leisure or personal satisfaction. It meant being free to make his life a gift to others. This is the essence of a vocation, making a gift of ourselves to another, first to God and then to God's people. It's what we hope is conveyed when our pastor washes the feet of our altar servers, just as Jesus washed the feet of his apostles. Of course, as a church, we pray this example inspires many priestly and religious vocations from amongst our young people, for it captures the essence of what the priesthood and the religious life is meant to be. But it also speaks to the essential nature of all vocations, of mature freedom culminating in the free gift of self to others. Christ tells us, I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do. Give yourself to others, starting with God. This is not the end of our freedom, but rather the flowering of it. At the first Passover, an innocent lamb was slaughtered to symbolize the sacrifice made for freedom. But at the Last Supper, our Lord shows that he will make this sacrifice one and eternal, by giving his own sinless life for our sake. 
Our Lord promises, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his, his life for my sake will find it. Only if we follow that will we be truly free from sin, from anxiety, from loneliness, and from lack of purpose. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.